to you a lesson about how prayer should be a high priority in your life. And I hope that you have not forgotten that, that you're, uh, you know, keeping that in the forefront of your thinking. You know, the Bible says pray without ceasing. Amen. That doesn't mean you're constant. It just means that there's an attitude of prayer about you all the time, that there is this sense about you that I am in communion with God, no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, I have God on the inside. And my heart can be turned toward Him all day long. And in that sense, I'm available. I'm available all day. Amen? Now, you know, I'm not talking about your mental action. Because mentally, I mean, uh, you don't... You need to be focused sometimes on what you're doing, driving down the road, whatever. But see, I'm talking about as a spiritual matter... That our hearts are not our minds and our hearts can be in vital connection and communication with the Holy Ghost at all times. And that's what we should be. And uh, it's not a burdensome life, it's a wonderful life to live in constant communion with the Holy Ghost. And uh, how could you lose doing that? Uh, And so then we talk to you about letting you know and reminding many of you who already know that there's more than one kind of praying. Not all prayers, prayers, different types of prayer, different kinds of prayer. And we spent about three or four lessons talking to you exclusively about the prayer of faith. Got wonderful testimonies, still, still getting them about uh, you know, what you learned and what you gained. And don't let, don't let go of it, amen? But I have it on my heart to at least introduce tonight a different type of prayer that we're going to get into. And uh, so let's talk about the prayer of intercession The prayer of intercession. Now, unfortunately, in this modern day church in which we live, this is a lost art of praying. The people that I know in my life and my own, if you know, that I could reach out to have any connection with, are really very, very few. You know, maybe I could name them on both of my fingers here that I would say know anything of real value about the subject of intercession. I know there's tens of thousands, probably more than that, who know a lot about intercession, but I'm telling you about people that I'm aware of. I know a little bit about it. Uh, Marilyn, Reverend Marilyn knows something about it. I know Arlene doesn't, and many of you do. But uh, still then, too few of us who know something about it are actually used very much in the prayer of intercession. Uh, But for us to have the move of God that... God wants us to have, it's going to take us getting back to real, deep, spirit-led intercession and intercessory prayer. Uh, If we're going to have the harvest of souls, people are going to have to certainly go out and tell the good news. Nobody's going to get saved without that. But the Bible says, uh, not in this place in Isaiah, but another place in Isaiah, that Zion, which is a type of the church, is only going to give birth after it travails. Referring to like a woman in birth, it's referring again to this deep place of prayer where we are giving birth, amen, in the spirit to new babes in Christ. Amen. Prayer plays a role in salvation. Prayer plays a role in the move of God. Prayer is going to play a role uh, in, in virtually every aspect of the plan of God in your life. Amen. And intercessory prayer uh, is a vital part of that. Amen. 
And so let's, let's get some understanding about it. Isaiah 59. Uh, Isaiah 59, I think it's verse number 16. And notice here what God says. He says, and he saw that there was no man, male or female, and wondered that there was no intercessor. So notice our time is not the only time in history where there has been a void or a lack of intercessors. You with me? Because God looked in Isaiah's day and he wondered, he was bewildered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. This is a reference to the fact that God looked upon the scope of humanity in Isaiah's day and he he wondered and observed that there was no intercessor. And so he provided and set apart one for himself. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the great intercessor. We'll get to that in a little bit. Well, what is intercession? Intercession uh, is is not... uh, A lot of people back in the 80s, they, they thought all prayers, intercessory prayer. And every prayer group no matter what that prayer group was doing, they called it intercessory prayer. That's just what, you know, most all prayer was called intercessory prayer. And that is to create confusion and error. Intercessory prayer is not the prayer of faith. It's not the prayer of agreement. It's not the prayer of supplication. It's not the prayer of consecration. It's not the prayer of praise and worship. It is a specific thing. Amen. And so let's begin tonight at least by gaining an understanding of what is intercessory prayer. All right, well, intercession by definition is to stand in the gap in prayer between a person or persons who have provoked judgment upon themselves. Amen? Through their sin or waywardness, disobedience, or wrongdoing, they have invoked or provoked judgment upon themselves. And they're not doing anything to change it. But something can be done about it. It's called intercession. It's for someone to be able to sense and know and discern by the Spirit, okay, that judgment is about to fall on a person, a a family, a, a city, a region, a nation even. And someone takes it upon themselves at the leading and prompting of the Spirit. That's a very important statement. And steps into a place in the Spirit. And they are used of God to speak words and to plead the case of that one that is about to be judged for the purpose of God extending mercy, amen, to that person that's about to get judgment. You know, if you'll say amen, let's me know you're with me. If you're not with me, then I, I don't know, are you getting it or not getting it? All right. And so here's another way to define intercession. Intercession is prayer to delay judgment. Now, this is vitally necessary. Amen. And important to the plan of God. And God wants intercession happening. You want to know why? Because God does not delight in judging. God does not delight in having to take His protective hand, His hand of blessing off of any person, saved or unsaved, where the enemy, the thief, the steal, the one who steals, kills, and destroys, is able to bring about calamity in that person's life. God doesn't delight in that. 
God delights in mercy. Some people think, reading the Old Testament, that God really uh, underwent psychotherapy and had a change of mind and heart when he got in the new. That somehow that God's a killer. I mean, he wiped out, right? And we see in the Old Testament, whole tribes of people being wiped off the map. Their women, their children, their old men. The Amalekites killed them all, right? I mean, right? And you get this mentality uh, that God is really fierce and out to get people. But in the new, we've got this mentality that because Jesus came, God doesn't care anything about that anymore, <laughs> right? And now we're on this other extreme that because we're under grace, anything goes. Listen, both of those positions are extreme, right? And, and in the ditch theologically. God hasn't changed His attitude or mind towards sin. And back under the Old Covenant, He did not delight in wiping out the Amalekites. He didn't delight in wiping out humanity in a flood. Come on, what kind of God do you think we're serving here? Amen. And uh, so intercession, again, is to enter into a place in the Spirit, and by the prompting and leading of the Holy Ghost, we are able to at least temporarily delay judgment from taking place. Now, really, uh, all of us are subject to judgment in, I think, three major areas or degrees. All right? Number one is, uh, we're all subject to judgment individually. And we will be. I mean, the microscope of God's eye is going to fall on all of us and amen, at the judgment seat of Christ as believers, we're going to have to give a detailed accounting of our every word, our very actions, our motive, our whole life to God. And we will receive rewards in heaven or the lack of rewards in heaven based on that judgment. Amen. And so, uh, I, and I'm keeping this in the individual category God will judge families. He'll judge, on, he'll judge you on the basis of your family. Now, I don't talk about you, your cousin down there in genealogy. You're gonna be, no, I'm talking about like my family unit, my nuclear family unit. Because what I do affects her. What she does affects me. And what we do affects our children. If I should say that or not. You know, a lot of... Birth defects and just, I mean, different things can be, can be traced back to uh, husbands and wives fighting while that baby's developing in the, room, in the womb. You know, Brother Hagin asked the Lord, how come me to be born so deformed? How come me to be born, you know, with three incurable diseases? He said, because of the strife that was going on between your mother and your daddy while you're, while you're developing in the womb? Hallelujah. Anyway, we can be judged on the individual, which means me individual and my family. Secondly, judgment's going to go out and it's going to get in bigger in scope. God will judge whole cities. God will judge whole cities. You know, I, I, I know, don't, don't write me a letter. I, I want to live in the city and region that God tells me to. The will of God's my home. But you know, there are places I hope God never sends me. I don't like going to those places. They, 
right? They're full of sin, they're full of debauchery, they're full of paganism, idolatry, all kinds of stuff. And I don't want to be there when judgment falls on that place. Amen. But we ought to have a vested interest. Amen. I have a vested interest in Paducah doing well. I want West Paducah to do well. Amen. I want Southern Illinois to do well. We live here. This is where we live. This is where our children are growing up. Amen. Hallelujah. And do you know that Paducah and West Paducah is blessed? Blessed because I'm here? Amen. Come on. It's blessed because you're here. Stop talking negative about our community. I know you can be tempted to. You know, I got rebuked by the Lord a couple of years ago. Because I complained and spoke negatively about Paducah. And I, hear, and I heard people doing the same thing. Now, I didn't really talk this way, but there aren't no jobs here. You can't prosper here. It's hard here. La, 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 la. Well, stop, stop talking like that. The Bible says the, the, uh, the blessing of the upright will exalt the city. The blessing of the upright, the one who's walking uprightly, will invoke a blessing on the whole city in which he lives. Amen. We need to walk around and call this place blessed. Amen. Anyway, then there is a larger, even larger scope that God judges, and that is on the national level. You know, we're Americans. and We better elect good government because God will judge our whole nation. I mean, it is... I didn't want to go here, but I'm going to take one moment to say, I just cannot believe. I just cannot believe that a whole political party cannot offer a yes vote to protect a baby born alive. That is sick. You're so out there in darkness that you cannot vote to protect and to give medical care to a baby that is born alive? You don't think God's going to judge if we don't get that turned around? I wouldn't want to, I'm glad I don't live in the state of Oregon. This lady in this state legislature, free abortion for all, free abortion for illegal aliens. I mean, listen, this is what I'm talking about. Our nation needs Christians who will intercede. Because we are continuing to provoke judgment upon our nation. And we live in the nation. And we will, we will be affected to some degree. Come on. Uh, people in our, in our fellowship of churches, the Infreshual Fellowship, you know, uh, people were affected down there in Houston when the hurricane came in and flooded all that. Amen. Those Christians were affected by those disasters. Now we have miracle testimonies of what God did. Spare and minimize and preserve, but they're still affected. To some degree. Amen. And so on the individual level, on the city level, on the national level, uh, intercession is going to play a major role in delaying the impending judgment that will come. Why is that important? Well, because it gives the, the wrong 
the, the wrongdoer, the sinner, the person that's under that judgment more time to get it turned around. Are you with me tonight? Go over to Genesis 18. Let's look at a quick example of intercession in action. Amen. Praise God. Now see, here's, if you're going to be used at all in intercession, you're going to have to mature in your spiritual life to the place where your life is not all about you. I mean, can we teach a Bible subject where you're not the direct beneficiary? You know, your marriage, your finances, your health, your this, your mind, your life, your blessing. Because thank God we preach a lot on that. God wants us to be blessed and healthy and we're having healing school coming up and, we, and all of that. But you know, we are Christians who have a mission and an assignment that we're supposed to be busy about. And it's not all about you. Amen. And one sure sign of an immature, undeveloped prayer life is that it's a, is a prayer life that's all about me, my family, my needs, my truck, my this, my that. And thank God, God cares about all of that. But do you know, we are never supposed to be first in anything. Never. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Amen. And uh, anyway, praise God. <laughs> Genesis 18. Uh, and let's begin reading. We'll have to read several verses here in this one, so stay with me a little bit. Verse 16. And the men rose up from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. Now these were angels that had come to visit him. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they will keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the... Now I want you to notice this. Maybe uh, mark these verses if you can. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men, or the angels, turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now pause there just for a moment. I want you to notice here, now we've, we've known in, uh, from other records of the Bible that we've read in the past, that uh, like David, we can cry out to God. And that, is that not right? And that God will hear our cry. David said, I cried unto the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. We know that uh, the children of Israel under Egyptian bondage cried out. Their oppression, the injustice, the things that caused them to cry out to God. And God heard their cry. And God brought deliverance. Amen? So there is a cry that will invoke God's involvement. To bring healing and deliverance and safety and rescue. But that's not the only cry that God hears. I want you to see here that sin cries. You go all the way back to the, and we're not going to, but back into Genesis, the blood of Abel cried. That the blood 
the innocent blood of Abel was heard in heaven, crying out for justice. And judgment came upon the murderer, his brother Cain. But did you see that that there's that, that kind of cry? Well, here, the sexual perversion, the, the, the homosexual lifestyle going on in Sodom and Gomorrah cried out to God. And you know what? God was very intolerant. God was very intolerant of their lifestyle. And he's heard about this cry. And he sent these angels down there to verify the activity of these people in this city. And he tells Abraham about it. But I wanted you to see how that a whole city can behave in such a way that it cries out unto God for judgment to fall on that whole city. Amen. But now let's notice here uh, what happens next. In verse 23 it said, well, verse 22, And the men, or the angels, turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure, or you could say it this way, what about this or what if? What if there be 50 righteous within the city? Will you destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as the wicked, that, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Do you see God saying, I will show mercy on this level when I was otherwise not inclined to do so? And how come? Because you asked me. Because of intercession. Because he asked. Well, Abraham has this thought then. No, wait a minute. Verse 27, and Abraham answered and said, Behold now, if I t have taken upon me, he goes, oh my gosh, I'm here arguing with the Lord. I have taken it upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure, or what if, Father, you shall, there shall be a lack of five of the fifty. Will you destroy all the city for a lack of five? And he said, or God said, if I find there forty and five, I won't destroy it. And he spoke unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall be thirty found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty. And, and he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the twenty's sake. And he said, O Lord... <laughs> Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but once, this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. Now, I don't know how many lived in Sodom at the time, but I'm sure it's in the thousands at least. Come on. Hallelujah. And Abraham 
he knows that nephew Lot lives in Sodom. And he knows, okay, Lot, I got, I got Lot, I got Lot's wife, and I got... So, and so he, he thinks, I'm good now. I'm good now. There's got to be ten. Notice, when does the Lord stop? He stops reducing the standard at Abraham's request. Couldn't she be thoroughly uh, convinced based on the flow of the conversation that if Abraham had gone one more step and asked for five instead of ten, that the Lord said, I won't do it for... What about even one? But here's... here's, Now we know ultimately God couldn't find ten. And He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot and his family were spared. Those angels came back to, uh, came to Lot and said, you have to get out of here. We, have been, we are going to destroy this place, but we can't until you are safe out of the way. And he was kind of slow and dragging his feet, if you read the account, Lot was. And the angel kept going, dude, hurry it up. Get yourself out of here. We are going to destroy the city. Amen. But the righteous were spared. Amen. And the whole lot of those sinful people, those pagan people, would have been spared at least for a time had God found ten. Amen. And you can see God's heart in the matter. He didn't have to tell Abraham that he was about to destroy Sodom. But he did. Because man, God's man, God's woman on the earth is God's partner. God's heart, God does not hate homosexuals. You and I shouldn't. We shouldn't hate anyone caught up in darkness of any kind or sin of any kind. What we have to do if we're going to be effective in intercession is be able to let God help us to see the wicked, the sinner, the way He does. The reason He brought this up to Abraham was for the very express hope and purpose that Abraham would step into that place of intercession and give God a reason not to pour out His wrath. That's what God's looking for. That's His heart. Someone give me a reason not to pour out my wrath. Hallelujah. Now some of you, you may, I don't know, but you may have someone dear to you who is off track, not living for God, bound up in darkness. But see, I'm telling you now, listen, I'll get to this. It needs to be prompted by the Holy Ghost, but you could, at at the very minimum... You know, praise God. Make yourself available to stand in the gap. Amen. And to give God a reason to give your baby a little more time to get it turned around. To get your husband a little bit more time to get his heart right. To get your mom, you're right. Amen. And listen, the door of eternity sometimes is going to swing 
on whether or not God can find an intercessor. This is why we've got to revive this kind of praying in the church. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Let's look at another example. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm looking at the clock. How much? How, I've got five pages of notes and I've preached about half of what I have on one page. <laughs> Amen. Go over to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Let's look at another intercessor. Moses. Man, thank God for Moses. Do you know those Israelites... <laughs> had it not been for Moses, God would have turned those people into charcoal briquettes squared many times over. I mean, they just so irritated God, provoked God, made God mad. Isn't that right? And, but Moses, and sometimes Moses was just as mad and just as irritated and angry with those Israelites as God was. But in, when the crucial moment came, Moses stepped into that place, that gap, and gave God a reason not to wipe them out. Now, these are God's own people. <laughs> Think about that. Numbers 14. Numbers 14. Glory to God. Verse number 11. <clears throat> And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people, now notice that word provoke. God can be provoked. How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a greater nation and mightier than they. God said, I've had it. I've done all these miracles for them. They've seen my power and manifestation and they will not believe. They won't believe me and their unbelief, listen, unbelief, persistent unbelief will provoke God's anger. I don't believe that. Or being slow to believe. It's, unbelief doesn't just hurt you. It provokes God. Because God is worthy and deserving of being believed. Amen. Without faith, right? It's impossible to please. That word please means satisfy. You can't satisfy God if you don't believe Him. Amen. And someone who lives their life in persistent uh, uh, atheism, persistent agnosticism, whatever excuse they want to come up with, right? They are provoking God. Amen. That's what these had done. But notice, notice the response of Moses. Verse 13. And Moses said unto the Lord, Well, you know, the Egyptians are going to hear it then. And, and that you brought up this people uh, in thy might from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that you, Lord, are among this people. And that you are seen face to face. And that thy cloud stands over them. And that you goest before them by daytime in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you shall kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore unto them, therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, 
according as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering. Now notice, notice the characterization of God. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Now notice his request. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your mercy. And as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now, and the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. This is why when God looks, before He pours out His wrath, He's hoping He can find an intercessor. He's hoping He can find someone sensitive enough and spiritual enough and who cares enough to say, no, 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 wait a minute, Father. Wait a minute. Notice Moses didn't say, no, you got it wrong. These people are great. He couldn't say that. But he did say, Father, you got yourself a reputation built up out here and that's all going to be ruined if you wipe these people out in the wilderness. And you know, God said, you have a point. You have a point. And then God said, he's, Moses said, and don't forget how merciful you are. Don't forget. And I'm asking you to pardon out of your mercy. And God said, I have pardoned. In other words, he just said, I was about to destroy them and start over with you, Moses. But instead, I'll forget it. And we'll move on. And you know, Moses was used this way more than once. Praise God. Hallelujah. Y'all getting anything? Praise God. Go to Psalm 106. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. I, I pray that we will be a church and we will be a people who knows something about intercession. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You know, some of you would not be here and saved today had somebody not stood in the gap for you. How about paying that forward to the next generation? Come on, how, how many of you had a mama or a grandmama or a, a daddy or a mother or son, Auntie May, or somebody who cared enough about you to hold your name up before the Lord and say, Oh, Father, God, keep them around a little while. Have mercy on them. They're, they're, they're going to be something for you if you just give them another chance, Father. And you may not have heard anything, but God from heaven said, You know what? I'm going to give them another chance because, at your word. At your word. Hallelujah. Some people, church, will never come to God. They're so wrapped up in their darkness. They're so deceived. They'll never come to God unless someone intercedes. And I'm going to talk about for five minutes. I mean, you know, someone who stays with it and yields to the Spirit and prays through and maybe more than one prayer time, maybe a season of prayer. Amen. Psalm 106, verse 23. It says about Moses, therefore he said that he would destroy them. God said he was going to destroy them. Had not Moses. Look at that phrase. Had not Moses. 
His chosen stood before Him in the breach to turn away His wrath lest He should destroy them. You know, one of the great questions of my life, I, I told about that testimony, I think Sunday, about being thrown out of a, or, uh, saved from certain injury or death in a car that flipped four times end over end, you know, I should have just hurled myself right out of the... And I came out, I was starting to come out of the seat when that angel pushed his hand back in. Well, you know, I didn't tell you, I've said it before, but I didn't say it Sunday. My stepbrother, Mark and Dale, they had a cousin. We're all family, so I just kind of viewed him as my cousin too. His name was Ricky, about a year older than my, me. He was coming home on an interstate one night, and I'm assuming he had permission to be out. I don't know what he was doing, if he was up to no good, drinking, I don't think so. But he fell asleep at the wheel. And he had a less severe accident than I did in terms of flipping and catastrophic damage to the car. He died. He died. How come me to be saved? How come me to live? I don't know the answer, but one of the possibilities is Someone, somewhere, picked up my need. Could be they stepped in the gap and that tragedy was averted in my life because I had an intercessor and Ricky had none. We have this in the, in the Acts of the Apostles. The Apostle James Herod thrust him through with the sword, and he was killed. He saw that that was popular among the Jews, so he took Peter also, intending to do the same thing to him. And he would have done it right then, except it wouldn't have been politically correct because Passover was that weekend. So Peter spent a few nights in jail. But it says continual prayer was made for Peter. That's intercession right there. You're not praying for yourself. You're not praying the prayer of faith. You are standing in the gap. Well, how come the devil was able to get James, but Peter is supernaturally delivered out of prison? An angel comes there, his shackles fall off. He gets up, the angel has to slap him on the side. Get yourself up, let him to the gate. The gate opens of its own accord. He's supernaturally delivered. Does God not love James the same as he loves Peter? Yes, of course, but James didn't have the constant unending prayer happening for him that Peter did for him. Amen. Praise God. You know, some, this this tell you something about the outcome of ministers and ministries. you got to know James is a praying person. Great apostle, leader of the church in Jerusalem. Even Paul submitted his ministry to James. Submitted his correction, submitted to his input about how to handle uh, the law and when it comes to the Gentiles and told everything about what was happening. He was accountable to him. You've got to know James is a praying person himself. Peter's the praying person. They're both in prison, one's killed. See, the outcome of ministers and ministries is in part dependent on the prayer support they have or don't have. You'd think the outcome of my life as a minister is dependent on my prayer life and faith and obedience alone, but that's not true. 
It's paramount. But it ain't the whole thing. Are you with me in that? Look at that phrase again before we move on. Had not Moses. Now what's going to happen in our city or not happen in our city had not World Harvest. Had not our prayer team. Had not Margaret. Had not Wayne. Had not Miranda. What, what judgment might fall on someone's life we care about? It would have happened, but it didn't happen. Because It would have had not Christine obeyed the prompting of the Spirit, got up when she was sleeping, and interceded. Praise God. I remember one time over at Jackson Street, uh, during that time, and we, we still do, it must have been a Sunday morning, we were having our corporate prayer. And I actually think it was a Wednesday night, actually. And we had corporate prayer back then, too, prior to the service, and I would often lead that. And we got to praying in the Spirit together. And uh, out of my mouth came the word Seahawk. That's random. I thought it was random. Seahawk. I go back to praying in other tongues and, uh, and I'd play Seahawk. Seahawk. And I just prayed that out and that's all, that's all that happened. We went on, had our service. Well, the next service, which was a Sunday, I don't remember who it was. Someone came in all excited. Pastor, did you see the news this week? Pastor, did you see the news this week? I said, no. What are you talking about? He said, one of our troop-carrying helicopters over in the sands of Iraq went down and on the side of the helicopter, they'd named it Seahawk. And the pilot and all 21 or 22 soldiers on board walked away. Glory to God. I mean, see, this is where the church needs such mind renewal. We think the only, the only measurable impact that we think about in a church is the number of people sitting in the seats. How big their campus is. But little old world harvest on Jackson Street in Paducah, Kentucky was used of the Lord to intercede for a situation we had no idea about. Had no personal connection to anyone on that aircraft. We're not saying that we're the only ones that God used to pray. But God found a people who were spending a little bit of time in prayer, praying in other tongues. See, he, who does God use in, uh, in life? He uses who's available. Here, here's another thing I could clear up before we uh, run out of time. Intercession is not a ministry. None of you in this room have a calling of intercession. There is no such calling. There is no such thing as the call to the ministry of prayer. Now, ministry in the terms of service. But people call stuff office of ministry that's not called that in the Bible. People have canoe ministry. You understand churches have canoe ministry. Basket weaving ministry. Those are not ministries, they're hobbies. And they're fine, but they're hobbies, they're not ministries. Anyone who gives themselves to prayer will be used in prayer. 
And it is a service and it is a wonderful thing to minister, but it is not a... People say, I have a call to intercession. Well, you have a call to intercession. I must not, so have at it. No, we're all invited to this type of praying. It's not a calling that Brother Ron has and Pastor Amber doesn't. Anyone that gives themselves to the Spirit, the Spirit will use. Are you with me? Just trying to correct that a little bit. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, thank you, Father. Oh, I'm trying to think about how to, how to wind it up. Glory to God. Let, let's, let's go over to, I'm skipping ahead, but let's go over to 2 Timothy. And I, I'm skipping a bunch of material that, that, Lord willing, we'll have to come back to next Wednesday night. But for whom, let's just close quickly, for whom should we intercede? Well, you know, really, by definition, you never intercede for yourself. <laughs> that would be a supplication. That would be a different kind of prayer. By definition, intercession is going to be for someone else. Well, remember, intercession is about delayed judgment. It's about delaying impending judgment on individuals, cities, or nations. So when you want to think about for whom should I intercede? Well, you're going to intercede for individuals. You're going to intercede for cities. Amen. You're going to intercede for nations. And certainly if you're going to intercede for a nation, it'd be smart to intercede for the nation you're living in. But you shouldn't limit it to that. The nations of the earth need intercession. India needs intercession. Right? Many nations, every nation on the earth. Hallelujah. So I said second, didn't I? Go to first, I'm sorry. First Timothy 2. First Timothy 2. We'll close right here. Y'all okay? Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. So Paul, Paul says to Timothy, I exhort or encourage... Now, he didn't say it was a dogmatic command. People get legalistic with it. Paul said, I exhort, therefore, that first of all... Everyone say first. First of all... Now, notice this. Supplications. That's a type of prayer. We'll have to get to that. Prayers. Talking about prayers in general. Now, notice this. Intercessions. If all prayers are the same thing, this is being redundant and unnecessarily repetitive. But notice how he's singling out different types of praying. But he says, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for who? Okay, so all men could benefit. So it is possible that the Holy Ghost could lay any individual on your heart for intercession. A minister, a loved one, a total stranger. Amen. And so, you know, it's kind of wide open with that in that regard. But then notice he narrows it down and he wants to make sure Timothy doesn't miss this for kings. Amen. Now we don't have a king. We have a president. And we are to make ourselves available, first of all, to stand in the gap and make up a hedge in the spirit for the President of the United States, 
whoever that person may be. I'm just like you. I have my preferences. Amen. And but when when there's a person in office that doesn't fit my preference, I have to hold my nose and pray and intercede anyway. When a person of my preference is in there, it's a little easier to obey that scripture. Right? We didn't say pray for them, intercede for them if you like them or if you agree with them. He said if they're in that spot, if they're in that office, intercede for them. Amen. Well, I don't agree with what they're doing. That's right. They may be invoking judgment on themselves and the whole nation. Intercede for them. Right? Hallelujah. I tell you what, our president, he needs intercession. He needs the body of Christ. And I, one thing I'm grateful about is he has shown he wants the body of Christ to pray. Amen. For him. And, uh, and so we should. We have a biblical obligation to stand in the gap for... Now, this would also include any person in authority. Notice it says, for all that are in authority. For whom should we intercede? Intercede for those who are in authority. Why? Because what they do affects me. And we're smart to intercede and pray and talk to God about any person in a position of influence that has any sort of influence in my life. And we're all affected. Eh, it don't affect me. I don't vote. That don't affect me. You're needing help. Amen. Because it, it is. Notice the outcome. That or so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So I want you to notice why should we intercede for kings? For those who are in authority, so that we, the body of Christ, might enjoy a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. In other words, God will hear and answer our prayer, and He'll move in those offices of authority in such a way that they'll leave the church alone, that we can live and conduct our kingdom business in peace. We can have a quiet life, we can have a peaceable life. Not in conflict with our government. Come on, we can have a government. We ha- in this nation, we have the government we deserve. We have the government that we have uh, prayed or not prayed in. Amen. And uh, so praise God. Uh, so uh, trying to close here. For whom should we intercede? Well, uh, the unsaved. The unsaved. I'm just going to give you this list. We'll we'll come back Wednesday, Lord willing, and give you the scripture that go along with this. But uh, Isaiah said uh, that Zion travailed and gave birth her children. You know, I'm not satisfied in this church with the the rate of salvation. We're not seeing enough people born again. There's a lot of reasons for that. We need to do better in witnessing. Say amen or oh me. We need to do better about opening up our mouth, telling people about Jesus, inviting people to church. Amen? But uh, it's also true we're not interceding like we should. We're too busy praying for our own stuff and so self-absorbed that we don't make ourselves available to pray for the unlawful. And if we're not careful, church, we can get to where we don't even care. I think that's a big problem. We didn't care. 
let them all go to hell, especially those politicians, right? I mean, just let them all go to hell. And, you know, there's, I have to guard my heart, guard my attitude, because I can become so, mm, right. about things and people. And listen, God's never going to, God's never going to send me to minister to someone I don't love. God so loved the world, He gave His Son. Right? Hey, man, I wish I had time to get to some of these things. Compassion, man, it's a huge key. Compassion and love. You don't have compassion and love, you might as well, you're not ready to intercede. We, we, should, we need to intercede for the lost. Number two, or whatever number it is in the list. I gave you kings for those who are in authority. Now that includes political and spiritual authority. I hold a place in the spirit in authority. Right? And so you could intercede for me. My wife too. Praise God. All right. Next, we should intercede for baby Christians. Galatians 4.19. Paul said, I travail in birth again. Again. Until Christ be fully formed in you. You see, when someone's newly born again... In the natural, they still have all the wrong attachments to the world. They're very vulnerable to slipping right back into old patterns, old friendships, old ways of life, common ways of thinking. They haven't had time to have their mind renewed. And it is up to us in prayer to hold up those babies, in, those young Christians in the Spirit, to provide a hedge of protection about them that the devil can't get them. And we've lost, in our church, we've lost babies because we didn't pray for them as we should have. <coughs> Kings, those in authority, the lost, baby Christians, nations, cities. It's probably not all. I'm not saying it's all, but that's a good, good starting list. Amen. Amen. And it ought to be evident just by observation. I've got some people I'm praying for right now in my private time. That you could just, I just know in my heart that they got to get some things turned around. Amen. And uh, I know with God's help, they can get it turned around. Amen. But I just want to be, and I haven't been to the degree I want to be, but I want to be faithful to do my part that judgment doesn't come on someone I know or love or care about when it could have been delayed, where they could have had more time, they didn't have to go to jail. <laughs> they didn't have to die premature. They didn't have to have their family exploded with divorce and tragedy and chaos. That could have been delayed and belayed or whatever had I been a little more sensitive and a little less self-absorbed. Amen. Let's stand up tonight.